Well, good morning, Church at Harpeth Heights. How y'all doing? Good. Well, I just want to say it is an absolute joy to be with you all this morning. Uh, For one, I love your staff. Whether it's Susan or Scott or Oksana or my buddy Steve, I think you all have an amazing church family and church staff. Uh, secondly, as Steve mentioned, uh, I serve at our Avenue, uh, Avenue South Church campus. And you all have been talking about the Pursue and have been giving faithfully to Pursue, and we are a major benefactor of that. Uh, we actually just recently purchased our own campus building that over the course of the next year that we will get to move into in the Berry Hill area just north of there. And we'll be able to actively serve the neighborhood and the surrounding community. And as the resident at my campus, the main thing that I do is college students. And so we are literally 0.3 miles away from Belmont now. And so, again, that's y'all's giving. If y'all did not give faithfully, that would not happen. And so I'm extremely appreciative just to be with you all and get to worship with you all this morning because of that. Well, if y'all want to turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. As you all know, the last few weeks, if you've been here, we've been going through 1 John and talking about love. A lot about love, right? And I thought it'd be kind of fun to know what is everyone's favorite love song, right? We all have a favorite love song or a few favorite love songs. So I did a very intensive study. And by intensive study, I posted on my Instagram and my Facebook, give me your favorite love song. I had a lot of responses. Everything. uh, The biggest one was Elvis Presley's I Can't Help Falling in Love with You, right? That was a big one. I mean, over and over, people were posting that one. I had a few people, uh, the Beatles, All You Need Is Love, pretty simple, straightforward. That was one. Uh, I Will Always Love You, Whitney Houston was a popular one. But since we're in Nashville, the Dolly Parton version's there as well. Uh, For some of the younger folks, the new Ed Sheeran song here and there, right? Every year he is one that's played at a wedding. A couple of Taylor Swift songs were in there. And I kept on thinking, there's a lot of songs about love. There's a lot of them. But if I look at the world, I don't know if I would consider the world a loving place. Would you all? And I was thinking, why is that? We talk a lot about love. We sing a lot about love. But why is it hard for us to actually live love out? I think first, when it comes to the songs, not all the advice the songs give are good, right? We, We can agree with that. But even the good advice they give, even the stuff that we can get behind as believers... They have a hard time living it out. And I believe it's because as we've been going through in 1 John, they don't resemble the one who is love. Just a few weeks ago, we preached that God is love. Not a part of who he is, but the fullness of who he is, is love. And we're called to resemble that. Last week, Brandon preached on that. We're called to embody that and live that out. So my question for you all today is, are you living a life of love? Are you living a life of love? Do you resemble the Father when it comes to the way that you live your life? Better yet, if I asked your spouse or your children, maybe your neighbor or your coworkers, if they ask, how would you describe you? What would be the first thing that comes to their mind or one of the first things? Would it be your dry sense of humor? Would it be your hard work ethic? All great things. But would they define you as a loving person? What we're going to see in First John today is that is the most important thing. And that's the thing. That's the litmus test. How do we know if someone's a believer? 
They are love. And that is what they are known by. So turn with me again. First John chapter three, we'll be going through 11 through uh, verse 18. Now you're probably stopping me because you're like, didn't we do verses 17 and 18 last week? You paid attention. That's great. I love that. We're kind of working backwards. The way that I like to describe it, anyone seen the movie Forrest Gump before? Anyone seen that? You know how he starts off kind of on the park bench and you find out that's really the end of the movie. He's retelling his story. We're kind of doing that this week and like last week. We're starting today with what you all began or we're ending today with what you all began last week. And we're going to end this week on what you all began with last week. I know a little confusing. Just track with me, okay? So 1 John chapter 3. And let's look at verses 11 and 12. 11 and 12. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Well, let's look at this first part just real quickly. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning. What's the beginning? Each of us, if we are a follower in Christ, we remember that day or those early days where we turned away from what we were before and we turned towards Christ. And what saved us was the work of Jesus and his love. And what was the message we heard at first? We're called the love. Jesus himself defines the whole Old Testament. I love it. Jesus gives us a spark notes version. What's all the law, right? What's all the Old Testament? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the other is like this. What? You shall love one another or you shall love everyone as yourself. John says, hey, if that's too hard for you, let me give you one. Just love, okay? Love God, love people, just love. Y'all, I think we can overcomplicate our faith. Anyone with me? I think we can make our faith way too complicated. How do we know someone's a believer? Is it based solely on their church attendance? Is it based solely on their Bible memory? Is it based solely how long their quiet time is or they say it is? No, it is their love. And that's what you heard from the very beginning. Love one another. Now you're tracking with me, my guess, right? I'm preaching at a church. You're probably all for the love, but you get this verse 12. Anyone kind of confused on that? You know, you're, you're with me like, okay, love one another. And it brings up Cain and you're like, okay, murder. What, what's happening here? If y'all remember that story, this is the very beginning. Genesis chapter four, right? Adam and Eve have two sons. You have Cain and you have Abel. Abel is a man of the field, right? He's over the fox. You have Cain. Cain's a farmer. Cain's doing produce. And we don't get a lot of context, but for some reason, Abel's sacrifice, when they give a sacrifice to God, is considered righteous and Cain's is considered unrighteous. And I'm not going to make you all turn. I'll just read it real quickly. But when Cain gets that, and this is uh, Genesis 4, chapter 5, but he did not have regard for Cain for his offering. And it says what? Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so furious? Cain's angry. Cain, that word for furious is an ongoing hatred is the idea that's happening here. He has this towards what's going on with his brother. And what does he do? Does he take it to his brother? No. He goes to his brother and says, let's go out to the field. And he murders his brother. 
In this day and age, and this may seem kind of odd to us, Cain was kind of like a symbol for evil. You're thinking, what's going on? In, in the same way, maybe someone would say like Adolf Hitler or an Osama bin Laden. If you took that, it's kind of like a symbol of evil. When you hear that or someone's referred to as that, it brings up feelings of bad. That's Cain that's going on here. And you may be thinking this is coming out of left field. But in verse 10, if you want to refer back in your Bible, verse 10 right before this, he starts giving us imagery of children. He says, this is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. What we're seeing right here is you're kind of getting this idea of family resemblance. Do you resemble a child of God or do you resemble a child of the evil one? Again, this sounds a little ominous, but that's the imagery that's kind of being provoked right now. But I don't think it's just spiritual. I think we have like family resemblance. Anyone have a baby or grandbaby that was born recently? What's one of the first questions that always gets asked or or gets said? Oh, it has this mother's eyes. Oh, it looks just like its dad. It has Uncle Joe's ears, you know, something like that. You see a family resemblance. We love that. It also, that's not just about physical resemblance. We also resemble our parents and grandparents in different ways too, uh, for better or for worse. Anyone familiar with those progressive commercials? You know, the ones where people are turning into their parents, they just bought a house and they're walking around. They have a coach who's there to say, hey, you're acting like your parents. We're trying to make you not act like them. Uh, There's one where they're at like like a Lowe's or a Home Depot. And it says, we know the woman has blue hair. You don't have to say anything. (laughs) Or the one they're at the movies. I love this one. And I felt this one this past week. I did this where they're at the movies and it says, just understand popcorn and snacks are going to be expensive. Right? And my guess, if you've lived long enough, you've said something before and you say, oh my goodness, that sounds just like my mom. Or you said, I will never say this. And then you say like, my dad used to say that, (laughs) right? Where we come from, we can't help but resemble it in some way. That's not only true about physical features and family features, but it's also true about the family of God and our spiritual features as well. There's a certain way that we as believers should resemble our father. And most importantly, what is that? Love. Our love, both internally, as we talked about last week, but also in our actions as well. So for the rest of our time today, we're going to break down this passage. And what you're going to see is that the world resembles itself oftentimes through hate, indifference, and just empty words. Hate, indifference, and empty words. And we as believers shouldn't show that in any way. So, let's keep on diving through this text. Look real quickly now at verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because, because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. I love verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, what? If the world hates you. John's not ignorant to what's going on in the world. Hey, There's a lot of hate that's going to come your way in this world. 
Y'all, don't hate each other. (laughs) You get enough hate as it is. Why are y'all hating on each other and giving hate? It reminds me of something my mom used to say. When I was a kid and my brothers would be fighting, right? We'd be fighting. And they'd say, hey, someday you're going to be all you got, so you better get along. I feel like John's kind of giving that right here. Hey, y'all, Jesus is gone. The church is who you have right here. Y'all need to get along with one another. Because if y'all can't get along with one another, how are you going to get along with people on the outside? (laughs) That's what John is driving at right here. The world's going to hate you, but we are not called to hate. This hatred seems so strong. The power of hate, it kind of festers in us a little bit. Even just saying the word, it just doesn't sound good. Now, I don't know about you all. When we get to that verse, uh, verse 15, where it says, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a what? Murderer. I don't know about you all. I hear that. I go, okay, John. There's a difference in hating somebody and murdering somebody, right? I mean, there seems like a very clear difference. But John gets this from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, if you want to flip over real fast, Matthew chapter 5, in verses 21 through 26, this is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about murder, but really what's at the heart of murder. One thing I love about Jesus is Jesus doesn't just stick on the surface level. He cares about the heart issue behind it. It's like an iceberg. Where's the biggest part of an iceberg? Is it above the water or below? It's below. It's the heart issue behind it, the deeper issue. And what Jesus is driving at in this chapter is what? The deeper issue behind murder. Because, could be honest, most people don't wake up one morning and say, you know what, I'm going to murder somebody. That just doesn't happen, right? There's something that festers. There's usually some type of relationship that boils or there's jealousy that happens. Jesus is getting at that right here. He says in verse 21, so this is Matthew 5, 21, you have heard that it is said to our ancestors, do not murder. Look at verse 22. But I tell you, whoever, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. How serious does Jesus take hatred, anger, insults? I'd say pretty serious. Why is that? Why would would Jesus take this so seriously? Because what does it naturally lead to? Maybe it's not physical murder, but maybe it's the murder of a relationship. Maybe it's the murder of your gospel witness with somebody that you allow jealousy or hatred, the buffer between you two. Jesus understands the severity of this. And when I'm reading this, I can't help but think of the Cain and Abel story. Because here's the thing, y'all. Look at real quickly at verse 23, Matthew 5, 23. So if you are offering your gift on the what? Altar. Where did the Cain and Abel dispute happen? At an altar, Right? It's two brothers, and it's two brothers described in this text in verses 23 and 24, who are going at each other. And very similar in that Cain is furious with Abel. It's a gift at the altar. What Jesus is saying, forsake that gift, go and make right. It's the opposite of what Cain did. What we're seeing is Cain is kind of a type here that Jesus is getting at. One thing that's so interesting to me about that Cain and Abel story, because 
I don't know about you, I, I don't ever picture myself as Cain when I read that story. You know, I don't ever see myself as the aggressor. But what Jesus, or sorry, what God says to Cain is so interesting to me. When God finally confronts Cain, he says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desire is for you, but you must rule over it. That imagery of sin crouching at your door, it's, it's very specific, right? The actual Hebrew, it says, sin is crouching at your tent flap. <laughs> they didn't have houses back then. They had tents. But think about this. Anyone ever been camping before, right? You know that little zipper that you have in between? That's a pretty thin piece of cloth right there. I remember there was one time I went camping and uh, my buddy left food out there. It was not smart. We all know that, right? And there were raccoons just right outside the area that were kind of gnawing. We're like, are we, are we safe? Are we good? I don't know. Think about that. The idea of crouching is animal-like imagery. Sin is crouching at your door. I wonder how many of us are like Cain in this. Well, we don't resemble God. We resemble Cain in the fact that sin is really near us. Only a tent flap away near us. And what does it want? It desires after us. Maybe we're just a few steps away from allowing hatred to turn into bitterness, to turn into dead relationships. Its desire is for you. It's serious, y'all. The way that John describes it is, hey, if you allow hatred to mark your life, do you have eternal life in you? That's what he's questioning right here. What does God tell Cain? He says what? Rule over it. Uh, I love the John Owen quote, uh, an old pastor who said, uh, kill sin or let sin be killing you. Be killing sin or let sin be killing you. As a believer, y'all, we cannot allow hatred. We cannot allow anger to mark our lives. It can't be a marking of who we are. Look at me real fast at 1 John, flip back. 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. We know John 3.16, right? This is, this is also a good one. 1 John 3.16. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. What we see right here that is that Jesus is the anti-Cain. Where Cain is what? He's about himself. He's self-focused. Jesus is what? Self-sacrificing. Jesus lays down his life. And what I love is that John says in verse 16 at the very beginning, this is how we have what? Come to know love. It just didn't come out of nowhere. How do we see? It was through the action of what Jesus did. It was through a physical something that happened, is that Jesus laid down his life. And we are called to do the same thing for others. Uh, this reminded me of something I saw on the news about like six years ago. It was a guy named Sean Cunningham. He took his son uh, to a preseason MLB game. I believe it was the Pirates uh, versus the Braves. His son was a big Braves fan. And they go to a game and uh, just pop the image up real fast. They go to this game, and when he's there, the, the batter throws the bat out, and the bat goes towards 
the crowd. And you can see it right in the middle there, right? Look at every individual in that picture besides the center. Everyone else, what are they doing? What I would be doing, right? They are deflecting. They're turning away because they don't want to see what's about to happen. They have their hands out to protect themselves. But look at the father on the left. That's Sean. What do you see right here? His arm is extended out. That's great reflexes, y'all. His arm is extended out, blocking the bat from his son. You see, we can talk about the son being on the phone. That's another story for another time. (laughs) But what's he doing? His first instinct, because that that happened fast, y'all. His first instinct is what? Protection of his son. Before himself, what does he do? He extends his arm. He got a nasty bruise. He was on the Today Show. They talked about it. This is a big deal. He extends his arm out and he protects his son. Y'all, this is a minor, just a minor image of what Jesus did for us, right? I mean, just so much smaller than what Jesus did. But Jesus didn't seek to lift himself up, right? But he humbled himself to the point of being a servant to even death on a cross. And he died for us. And what Jesus calls for us is like, hey, your life is no longer your own if you follow me. Your life is for those who are around you. How will you lay down your life? And I, I don't know about you. When I, when I hear that, I automatically go, yes, I'm going to be that guy right there. I'm going to extend my arm out. Yes, I will lay down my life for my brother and sister in Christ. Yes, I would totally do that. This is where this next point may hit you pretty hard. Look with me at verse 17. Because what we're going to see is we're not only called to not be hateful, we're called not to be indifferent. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? I don't know about you all. When I hear like the big stuff, I'm in. Like I I would do that. I would give my life up. But am I willing to give $10, $15 up? I don't know. Depends on the circumstance. I think oftentimes in my head, in the big causes, I'm in. But in the literal, actual day-to-day things of life, I can often shirk from Christ. In my mind, what I'm thinking, I can, yes. But how am I embodying that and living that out in the day-to-day? The the word that's used here in the Greek, talking about has the world's goods, the word bios, the idea is just a livelihood. You have the means You're not wealthy by any means, you know, but you have the means to help somebody out. And the word sees here, it's not just you have a visual idea. It's the idea of if you know what's going on, if you know there's someone in need. Think about your individual life groups, maybe. Maybe it's it's a neighbor. And specifically, this is talking about believers. It could be a little wider than that, but it's talking about believers. Do you know anybody in your church that's going through something right now? Maybe that's an emotional hardship that's happened. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's financial, literally like what's talking about right here. You know of something that's happening. What's John saying? If you withhold compassion. In, in the Greek sense, we talk about the heart, right? The heart was literally everything. It's your guts. It's your heart. It's the fullness of who. It's, it's what motivates you. You know when you hear something really bad, it kind of sinks in your gut? <laughs> or if you feel really, really good, your heart kind of races a little bit? That's what the Greek's idea of compassion was. It flowed flowed from right here. If you withhold that from a brother or a sister, what good is it? 
What's so interesting right here is that love is both a duty and a test to believers. It's a duty and a test. It's a duty in the fact that we're commanded to love, right? Jesus says, love one another. John says what? Love one another. But it's also a test in that, how do I know that I'm a believer? You see it in the actions in my life. Now, I want to make it clear. Your works do not save you. The fact that you are willing to give does not save you. The fact that you're not actively hating somebody does not save you. Only Jesus can save you. But if you are a believer and you have realized that Jesus laid down his life for you, there should be an overflow of what's happening. Last week, we talked about what? The idea that the Spirit's internalizing you and it propels us. What we're talking about today is that's lived out in action, both in the big and the small. The logic of this passage so far is that you do not have to murder to sin. You only got to hate your brother. But you don't even have to hate to sin. You just got to be indifferent. I think a question for maybe each of us is, who are we possibly being indifferent to? What believer, brother or sister in the congregation possibly are we kind of holding our compassion back from? We, we don't hate, but we're not actively showing love. This goes with my last point as well, and we'll conclude it here. Uh, verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Let us not love in word and speech, but in action and in truth. The litmus test of love is what? Action. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity. I got to step in Steve's shoes, and I got to do the student retreat for Avenue South. A very different crowd. I'm telling you, the energy was high, and I loved it. We were at a local park, and one of the illustrations I wanted to show is from James chapter 2. And the idea is, hey, without works, your faith is dead. A lot of us are familiar with that passage. And I thought, hey, I'll do something with spray paint because the student ministry, they would love spray paint. You know, this will go well. And the idea was your faith needs to be applied on the canvas. Now, the problem was, is it was a very windy day and we're at a park with other people around, right? And the moment I pull out that spray paint, I kid you not, all the other families that are in the park, they literally got up and just walked away. <laughs> the point of that illustration, though, was what? That your belief should motivate your behavior. Your belief should motivate your behavior. That your faith should not just be a label, but you don't know what it is until it's actually applied. In the same way that James is getting at, hey, faith should have works. What John is getting at here is love should have action. Love is a verb here. It's not a noun. It is a verb that there is active and it should propel you towards something. And so my question for us, and I think this is a pretty important question in 2022. Do we actively love people or do we love causes? That kind of goes along with that other verse, right? In, in the day and age of social media, I know we're all on social media to some degree, whether you're Instagram or TikTok or your Facebook, there could be a little my, MySpace holdovers. I don't know if you're in the room. But how often can we comment with words when there's no real follow through? It's really easy right? It's really easy to have a comment. And what John's getting at here is words aren't bad, but if words have no action that will ever follow through, 
And if words don't have follow-through when there needs to be follow-through, are they really any good? Are they just empty? We've all said it before. Talk is cheap. And in the day and age of social media, talk is very cheap. You can say anything and everything. So my focus here would say this. Action is the truth of this passage. And by that, I mean action is the fulfillment of the gospel in that it shows the gospel. The action is not the gospel in itself, but it shows the gospel in action. We are displaying when we love somebody, we are displaying the love of Christ towards them. So I'm going to leave you with this. And uh, this will be the final challenge. Focus on the fundamentals of our faith. And what is that? Love. Can you all ever seen the movie Hoosiers, right? You know that locker room scene where they're back there and he's like, focus on the fundamentals. That's what we need to do. I think far too often we can overcomplicate what we need to do instead of just acting. If we see an, a time where we can act the love, do it. Instead of saying, hey, I'll pray for you, actually pray for them there. If you know someone's actively going through something and say, hey, if you need something, let me know. Sometimes people don't know what they need. If you know where you can step in and help them, help them. As believers, we are called to care one another and to lift one another and to build one another up. That's what this passage is getting at. It's so simple, but that's what it is. In the big and in the small, we are called to live out love. Uh, We are about a year away. My grandmother passed away about last April. And so we had our funeral. And it's always so interesting, all the stories you hear at a funeral, right? Whether it's in the actual eulogy or it's like the time before or after, you hear a lot of interesting life stories. And my favorite one, I had heard it as a kid, but hearing it again was so interesting. Uh, when, when my dad was in elementary school, so this has been like the late 60s, uh, they went uh, to the zoo, the Oklahoma City Zoo. And so they're going around and one of the kids had gotten lost from that area and had found himself in the hyena pit literally climbed over. I know, right? I should have prefaced that a little bit. Shocked you a little there. He finds himself in the hyena pit and literally extremely dangerous. And the hyenas start going at him. My grandmother literally gets into the pit with that kid, picks him up, pushes him up there and then climbs out herself, right? A lot to live up to in my family. (laughs) Made the news, everything. It was a big deal. That story was for sure shared at her funeral, right? I don't think any of us probably think through, like, what story is going to be shared at my funeral? That one's a for sure, right? But there was also other stories shared, lifelong relationships she had with people. People say, oh, she used to say this, or we so enjoyed the music that we used to play together. She loved to play the piano. I think far too often we can think we need the love in the big, those hyena-type moments, <laughs> But here's the thing, y'all. Those only come every so often. Those small moments that were just as talked about, those come every day. In our families around the table, at our work, with our neighbors, the people we live next to, those are the people that we are able day in and day out to be agents of love for. So what I want to leave you all in is whether you have those big moments and you have the opportunity to act, a Sean Cunningham or a grandpa moment, do that. But also don't forsake the small little day-to-day love that we can share towards believers. So as the band starts to come up, what I would ask for each and all, you all, 
is who are the people in your life that God has placed around you? Who are the fellow believers maybe in your life group that you are able to show love towards? Maybe someone who's undergoing a hard obstacle in their life right now. Maybe it's someone that has a challenge, whether it's financial or emotional or familial. Who are the people that need to have love around them? And so what I would ask for you all as we bow our heads is ask God, who could that be? 